Good, good making it here at this this uh, early hour. We don't um, normally catch you except in the evenings, but I'm glad you could make time to join us. Um, it's eggs and bakey time. <laughs> uh, we have some familiar faces. We have the great and powerful William James with <laughs> yes, us. Yes, sir. <laughs> as well as the great and powerful Cordy Nicole as well. Um, I think both of you have some show dates coming up. You've got August 25th, you said? Yep, yep. August 25th at the uh, 8th room with the hungry and dangerous shouts to uh jordan my man and uh it'll be our first time at that venue but i went recently to see my buddy's band the swell fellas there and it made me very excited to get on stage there it's cool vibe it reminds me a lot of new york city vibes it's like swanky cocktails but also like a rock and roll venue so that should be fun what about you Cordy? what do you got coming up uh i don't think i think most of them will be passed by the time this is out but we're gonna be at cobra august 3rd east room august 4th i think spring water august 27th and somewhere october 2nd but i don't know i don't know yet <laughs> nice this okay. um this is this will be up a week from when we're recording this so i think most of those dates are still upcoming um you were recently on banded Yes, I can finally talk about that with you now, yeah. because the last time I saw you, it was still hush-hush. So, yeah, um, it was an incredible experience. Uh, it, I guess, if you want, I could tell you the story of how it fell into yeah. my lap. Okay. Yeah. So, last October, and this was so random, uh, Leo, you know, our bass player in Sleeper Signal, he was working with a gentleman named John Luca who was renting the gear for the rehearsals and the auditions for this TV show, which was at the time known as project Supergroup. And I guess they were, there was some sort of like legal thing going on. Anyway, they were kind of scrambling for contestants in the 11th hour. And so John Luca asked Leo, he said, Hey man, listen, we got this really cool thing coming up. It's a show like no other, you know, Brandon Jenner is going to be the host. It's like American Idol, but not really. What we're doing is we're taking 25 strangers and grouping them into five different bands and making them compete against one another uh, with singer, songwriter, producers, and, you know, all this jazz. And Leo said, you know, man, I, I don't really think that's my thing. Like, I don't, I'm not really interested, but I got a guy for you. His name is William James. He said, all right, well, like, put me into contact with him. So Leo gave me the heads up. I, I want to say this was like maybe a Tuesday night or a Wednesday. And he said, hey, man, listen, this guy's going to be calling you um, something about a reality TV show. They're interested in having you. And I was like, look, man, I'm tired. You know, we just had a long summer of gigs. You know, I'm not trying to freaking go on some show and get a fool made out of myself after working so hard and this and that. He said, listen, just hear the guy out. So John Luca calls me, uh, you know, fellow New Yorker. I could hear it in his voice right away. He was like, hey, kid, how you doing? I was like, hey, John Luca, I was expecting your call. 
fill me in and he starts talking and I, I kind of like rudely cut him off. I was like, listen, man, I'm going to tell you flat out. If you're going to put me on some TV show and make a joke out of me, like I'm not fucking doing this. And he was like, listen, dude, show up at the uh, Musicians Hall of Fame Thursday morning, do the audition and we'll chat. So I went. Um, it was funny. I had to go straight to work afterwards. So I had my guitar and I'm sitting there and I'm auditioning and there's people there and they're you know smiling and asking me questions, interviewing me. And, and then I, I played a song and they're like, all right, that was great. And I was like, didn't you guys want to cover song too? And they're like, no, nah, no, nah, you're fine. You're fine. So I'm thinking at this time, like, all right, they probably need some B-roll footage of somebody who's not going to be on the show, like to just film me walking out or whatever. And I called Leo and I was like, yeah, man, like it was kind of cool. Like, you know, the guy seemed really friendly. I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm like two hours into my shift at the brewery and I get a phone call from the lawyer and she's like, hey, William James. I was like, hey, I just got to step away from the bar. Hold on a second. So I go out back and I'm like, hey, what's going on? She's like, I heard you did wonderful on your audition. They loved you. So here's what to expect. I'm emailing you over the contract. She just like launched right into mm -hmm. it. Right. And I was like, whoa, whoa wait. I was like, am, did I get this? And she was like, oh yeah, kid, you're going to be on TV. And I was like, all right, well, send me the contract. I got to look it over. So now I'm freaking out and I go over the contract. I go over with Leo and there's nothing, you know, in there that would like keep me from doing it. It was very plain, straightforward. And uh, so I called her back. I was like, hey, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And she was like, okay, great. We need you moved into the musician's house on Sunday. So this is like, this all happened within like three days. Right? Wow. So I was like, holy shit. And she was like, by the way, we still need like a badass bass player. Like, who do you know? And I was like, I know the perfect guy. He already said no, though. She said, can you close him? I said, give me 15 minutes. <laughs> so I called Leo. I'm like, dude, I was like, we got to push the music video shit for Raids the Black Flag. I was like, we have to go on TV, bro. Like, this could change our lives. We're going to meet so many people. Like, and honestly, do not make me do this alone, dude. Come on. I'm scared. <laughs> like, I've never done anything like this. Like, I'm going to be with strangers. He was like, all right, all right fuck it, I'll do it. He was like, send me the contract or whatever. So then we met at SIR the next morning. We're going over it and we're looking at each other and we're like, do we do it? Do we not do it? Finally, he signs the paper. He goes, come on, sign. We're doing it. I was like, sick. So like two days later, I arrived at the Embassy Suites Hotel where we met everybody for the first time. And then they put us in, you know, shuttle vans off to the house in Mount Juliet. And I'm like freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, this is insane. Like what, like two, three days ago, I was just like living my normal life. I'm like, now I'm with all these people. I'm getting paid to be on this thing. A couple of days after that, they all put us in groups. They wouldn't let me and Leo be in a band together though, which I was like, all right, I get it. They said it would put the other bands at a disadvantage. And I'm glad it worked out that way because we had wildly different that kind of makes sense yeah yeah absolutely and anything we would have wrote i would have wanted to keep for right yeah you yeah. know what i'm saying so to make a long story short uh i got grouped in with four other phenomenal musicians that were strangers to me jacqueline kenyon she was our lead vocalist phenomenal voice canadian girl super sweet so easy to work with uh we had rob and sergio which were a little bit younger than me i think 23 24 25 in that age group and it was funny because like rob and sergio became like my little buddies right and rob i love so dearly and we quickly found out that we were into all the same stuff you know like green day and punk rock and this and that and then we had molly rose on the drums who is one of the best drummers i've ever had the pleasure of working with she's a professional touring active musician on broadway um, and then we got lucky. We got Wendy Starland as our songwriting coach. And uh, Wendy is the lady responsible for Lady Gaga. And she told me the story about that. And it blew my freaking mind. She was like, when I met Stephanie, yada, yada, yada. I was like, whoa, this is crazy. So 
so that was cool and then we just wrote some freaking bangers and ultimately ended up winning the competition yeah so that's kind of my story there <laughs> that's awesome man it's crazy how quick something like that gets put together oh it was, it was wild and it was so much fun and the people we got to meet and work with you know uh, Paul Eversold was one of the other songwriting coaches he produced Three Doors Down and a lot of bands from the 90s and just meeting all these like seasoned veteran musician and songwriters uh it definitely made me a better songwriter mm -hmm. at the end of the day you know because we had these songwriting challenges right and it was it was the first time I wrote kind of like with an objective you know a mission to accomplish like hey this is like our anthem this is our love song not just kind of like what's spinning in my head basically you know and it was cool um some of the other bands struggled with their members um I know Leo had some difficulties with his group but there was not one song that they wrote that couldn't be a single or like a smash hit I mean his band was phenomenal and there was a couple of songs that they wrote that I was jealous of. And I was like, dude, we should keep that for Sleeper Signal. And he was like, can't, we can't. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was freaking nuts. And yeah, what an experience. Yeah, it was stressful, you know, being under camera a lot. Um, you know, I started noticing some weird like stress things that were happening. Like my hair started falling out, which was weird. It's finally back, thank God. It's a little patchy in the back, but it was a stress-related induced alopecia thing. I had to like mm. come back and go on steroid creams. And you know, so like weird shit like that when you're just under this constant scrutiny and pressure and hurry up and wait and be there and do this and don't do that. So, you know, it was kind of the first taste of what it's really like to be in like an actual yeah. spotlight like that. Yeah. Like mainstream TV. That's like a that's that's a thing. Yeah. So sure. it's finally out now for free streaming on Access TV, which is exciting. Go check um, it out. Yeah. Really exciting stuff. Um, it was a pleasure to work with Brandon Jenner. He was the sweetest, like most kind person I've ever worked with, like as a celebrity, you know, like I never met celebrities before mm -hmm. like that. So that was kind of cool. And uh, they treated us really well and they took good care of us and they wanted everyone to have a fair shot. So um, obviously we'll be working with them going forward. There'll be some sort of record contract signed nice. eventually. Um, but a bunch of other members uh, got to move forward as well, which is cool. Unlike shows like the boys or Island yeah and stuff like that so yeah it, that that's cool to it's a cool way to like bring people up if they're actually like authentic about what they're doing right exactly yeah. um, well i appreciate you making time to be here you're flying out to brazil tomorrow yeah i'll be leaving uh tomorrow in the early evening i gotta fly to chicago wait a couple of hours you know get loose maybe have a few beers <laughs> and then uh hop on a plane to sao paulo which will be overnight so I think I'm gonna get up early tomorrow, go, go for a run, tucker myself out, pack up, and hit the road. So that should be crazy. <laughs> Have you been before? I've never been, and quite honestly, I'm scared shitless. Mm. Um, I'm going alone. Leo's traveling right now. He was just in the Netherlands, and uh, now he's in Toronto. He's doing tech work with a couple of famous fans. Um, and he was like, "Dude, super last minute, but this is what you got to do." And I can't be there, buddy. And I was like, "What? You crazy?" He was like, no. So they got this whole itinerary planned out. There's going to be like radio uh, interviews, TV appearances. Hell yeah, dude. There's a guitar company down there that might be interested in endorsing me. That would be really cool. I've never really had anything like that before. And um, I'll be working with Andre, who's like the leader of our you know record label. He kind of runs all of our stuff down there. And uh, I just got word that we got booked for a festival that's being put in the works down there for 2024. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Last time you came on, we were talking about this like... There's kind of uh, like an alternative <laughs> rock 
I, I don't know if I want to say scene like like there's a following alternative rock following in Brazil apparently yeah uh, like you guys <laughs> specifically are popping off it goes crazy down there like and it's funny because there's such a divide and like you know the language and mm. like if there was like this article that came out apparently kind of like announcing that like I would be arriving and they spelled my fucking last name <laughs> wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> well how'd they spell it story like s-t-o-u-r-i which is funny because I go by William James yeah. anyway but like it's one of those things where you just gotta like laugh and be like but that's so cool like yeah. you know they they give a shit you know <laughs> that's awesome yeah uh, stick out like a sore thumb yeah <laughs> and then you'll be back here you said 25th at eighth room with uh hungry and dangerous um eighth room's cool that's that's a new new thing that's popped up have y'all been yet i haven't been yet no you I, go? i've see seen it. footage of of it so i'm kind of familiar how it's laid out but i haven't been <laughs> it was funny the last time i well the first time i was there was the last time i went i've only been once and it was to see my buddy's band and it was cool because like they have like a curtain right so like, you don't see the band like setting up or sound checking and the space is actually pretty big and the staff there was like really friendly it's almost like like elevated cocktail bar goes like cobra like it's like a, it's an interesting vibe kind of swank kind of yes. swank and uh yeah it was so fun my buddy kevin was there right Bro, he was taken off, dude. He was like, yo, Big Will, what's going on, bro? I'm <laughs> fucked up right now, dude. Let me get you a drink. Like, so, like, it was, like, a wild little time. It was, like, really fun, so. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And then, um, you, I'm sorry, you, what were your shows coming up after, say, like, the third? Because I think you said you got one on the third, but what's coming up after that? The fourth and the 27th and then October 2nd. Okay, yeah. So this will be up uh, the following Thursday from today. Okay. Um, yeah. So check out uh, Hussy Fit as well. A couple of dates coming up in the next couple of months, um, and then check out Sleeper Signal as well. Um, the, you, you guys have both been on the show quite a bit, so oh, yeah. I, I appreciate you coming back. Thanks for being here as well, Cordy. You put um, a gun in my head. I don't know what you mean. Say what? <laughs> you put a gun in my head. Yeah, I did kidnap. Currently under to, threat. To make this happen. <laughs> there were threats of violence involved. Yeah um yeah it <laughs> it's cool to see you and also you coming up because like uh, the last the first time that we did the podcast was both of you here but we were in another place mm -hmm. um and that, that was the first time we met actually so yeah you come on the show um, yeah that was like last summer right yeah mm. yeah and it's just in a, in a year's time like I guess in the last for you like the last month or two has been a huge jump yeah, it's but like crazy. over the last year, like I've seen, I've seen both of you come up and I'm really proud of both of you. You're real artists um, oh, and <laughs> yeah, doing real shit. There's um, an interesting scene here in Nashville, which I know we've talked about before. Um, I remember like five, six years ago, it was a little more like clicky and segregated kind of. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really seeing like a community come together now, which I think is cool. I think and you guys both have a big part in that. I was really pleased to see your last performance when we played together at the East Side Bowl. And yeah, it was the first time incredible. I saw you with, with the full band and you really knocked my socks off. And I was talking with Eric, actually. And I was like, man, she got it together. This is great. You know, like, and you guys were tight and the songs were fucking good. And you, you gave that classic Cordy performance. You know, it was pretty badass. Thank you. That was like the first time I've seen you in probably like a year. And I just see a ton of growth. Like now I'm like, well, how can I like, mosh and play my instrument at the same time right and not fuck up the song that was lit yeah 
you got to do what I do. You got to study the old early Nirvana footage. <laughs> so Just while in, you're practicing, be like, somebody hit me. Yeah, right. In addition to everything else you're doing, you're also writing new music. Come, got some stuff coming out later this year. Yeah. So and this, so there's been like some recent changes to the band, too. Um, unfortunately, our original drummer decided that he wants to go a different direction. And I totally respect it, even though he broke my fucking heart. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he called it quits with the band, which was a bummer. Um, but as you know, you got to keep trucking. You got to keep on keeping on. So that show that we played together was our very first show with our new drummer, Isaac, who is phenomenal. He's been a professional for 16 years. You know, he's just very good at what he does. Um, you know, he does it for a living. So when he expressed interest into coming to a band that's not really profiting right now, I was like, okay, so he must be serious about taking this seriously because he's going to be taking some sort of cut. He's going to be missing gigs to do this. So that was cool. I was actually high key nervous about that gig for that reason. And I, and I was like looking back at some footage. And I just remember the headspace I was in. First couple of songs, I was kind of like in my head, like, uh, like, I don't know how this is going to go. And then like about like a quarter of the way through the set was when I started to loosen up really and start feeling it again. And it was almost like this feeling of rebirth, renaissance, you know, a new beginning. And it gave me hope. And, uh, you know, getting that out of the way was freaking cool. And um, I was actually chatting about it afterwards with uh, Chris Rambo. I don't know. Are you guys familiar with Rambo? I don't think so. Chris is an amazing man. Um, he works with a lot of artists in the area, uh, specifically with Jax Hollow, who is an incredible guitar player. And she's been having a lot of success, too. I believe she's playing at the Ryman soon, which is really incredible. But anyway, so I messaged him the next day. I was like, hey, so like, what did you think? Because we chat like that. He's like, you guys are really solid, man. He's like, every time I see you, like, I'm more and more impressed. This, that, the other thing. And I was like, yeah, I was nervous because, you know, it was kind of our, you know, first date, so to speak, with our new drummer. And he was like, pretty damn good for a first date. And I was like, cool. So that was hit. Um, I think I played guitar really well that night, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I unfortunately <laughs> missed that one, but I, I heard that was a great uh, show all around. Everyone was on, on their shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was like the best Thursday ever. Best Thursday ever. Thursday's great, man. I do. I, I was at uh, Cobra last night, and um, it was I wasn't there for um, She's Lost Control, but She's Lost Control was going on in the main room. And I was talking <laughs> with my buddy, who's also named Will. Uh, we were talking about how like um there's a, a, like i'm sure new york has this i'm sure la has the um like the goth rave scene which is mm -hmm. like a very specific thing but we were talking about how like when you when you're in the corporate world it's like everything like when you have like a rigid way of life it's like the underground scene gets crazier oh yeah you know what i mean like um we were talking about germany like like there's like some crazy clubs in Germany uh, and like it is kind of more of like a rigid kind of culture um, but then they fucking party hard like they work hard and then they party hard <laughs> and um, yeah I, I know that both of you have experience in the corporate world as well um, it, it, do you feel at, at like um, your most rigid jobs do you feel like you've been more um like need to express yourself artistically or like are you more uh creative and weird when you have like less rigid lifestyle I feel like the writing process for me like not having to be brain dead 40 hours out of the week it's it's definitely easier to write without that but when it comes to like 
performing and like needing it I think for me like any form of stress whether it's work or my personal life like if things aren't good I'm like I need to go and be on stage and like mm-hmm. connect with the version of myself that I recognize yeah like you lose yourself in the kind in the of day-to-day life yeah. yeah but when you get on stage it just like snaps back into, mm-hmm. into place you're like oh everything makes sense right now so is is it harder to get like that creativity when you're not on like a rigid schedule like that like when you're not uh like under pressure to be a normie not for me I'm, I'm always weird yeah you were telling me you like your new your well newest job or, I do like my new job it's and that they fun. kind of promote being creative and yeah they've got like a studio and stuff in there so you can like play instruments or paint or whatever that's freaking sick it's really cool. <laughs> I think like alternative um like people and like um like present the that way of like presenting yourself is becoming like more acceptable in like the corporate world like like obviously you neither of you guys look like normies and like I don't I don't think that necessarily holds you back like it would in like this fucking 70s you know yeah you know like for me like when I was working in my sales jobs you know and that was like a lot like during COVID it, it was an interesting I think it showed me you know, you always consider the, what would have been in life, right? You know, like, what if I went this path, you know? So like when COVID was a thing and, you know, I lost my job at the restaurant because everything shut down, I was able to go into the sales job and still work professionally. So when everyone like went to watch Netflix for 12 hours a day, I threw on a suit and tie and I was in an office and meeting with clients still and doing stuff like that. And I was really freaking good at it, but like, it really, wore me down and it took me it became a distraction from my art and I kind of just came to this point where I was like dude time could be running out COVID's over if I'm going to do this it's now or never it's time to go full speed ahead and I took a lot of hits doing that going back into bartending you know I went I made a lot of moves financially like with the things that I bought or the places that I rented that I could afford working that sales job that when I went back into bartending things got really tight and I really became like the starving fucking artist for like a hot minute. And before I got like a control on things again, really, you know, but I noticed like when I was working in those sales jobs, you know, like you'd be in this office or you'd be on the road trying to close these deals. And like on my time off, it's still, you're never really done. You know, I was still getting mm-hmm. calls from clients and yeah. from my business partner on a Sunday when I'm trying to cut loose and watch the Packers game talking about the game plan. I'm like, dude, save it for Monday. Cause like right now, like I do not give a fuck dude. And like, you know, I started noticing for me, it's like the minute that's high came off at the end of the day, the wild man came out, you know, I was partying, I was mm. drinking a lot. I was going out every night, just blowing off steam. Cause I felt so pent yeah. up all day. And, you know, as supportive as everyone was in that office, they don't understand the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. None of them ever lived it. Nobody knows what it's like. I looked at my, myself in the mirror one day and I'm like, nothing about me looks the same. I'm living this double life, Mm -hmm. you know, like a Clark Kent type of vibe, you know, and I just felt like I wasn't being true to myself. So the, before Alice got here, we were talking about a birthday party we went to yesterday and these are like it guys, you know, (laughs) and they, they, no one goes that fucking hard though. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, it'd be like that. It'd be like that. For real. It's, it is interesting. Like, um, like I feel like everyone who's in that world, has like an outlet where they're they're like super extroverted in some way like going to clubs going to bars um I'm sure there is the guy who is like hi I'm normal like 24 7 mm-hmm. um but like 
it, it is crazy like the counterculture it creates of like being in a cubicle or like not even in a cubicle but like being in that high collar kind of society oh, creates yeah. like a very radical uh counterculture it's it, it becomes a double life like that yeah oh yeah big time crazy it it is interesting so like now that you're are you still bartending yeah 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 um you know still got bills to pay yeah you know and that's it I love it though. I, I love where I ended up, you know, working for tailgate is awesome. And the people that I work with, like we're all really good mm -hmm. friends outside of it. A lot of us are musicians, you know, like my buddy, Chris, who plays in the swell fellows, we work together and we're constantly talking about our next move musically or psyching each other up. And, you know, he's on the road right now. And like, you know, so it's cool. It's like, it's one of the things where like, if, if one of us has to dip out to do music stuff, someone else steps up to the plate and like yeah. covers them. You know, my boss is phenomenal and we're buddies outside of work and he really cares a lot about us individually. And so it's a good, healthy place to work and the money's great. And being on Music Row is such a vibe. Too. Yeah, it's never the same day. So like being in a much more relaxed work environment with people that are like aware and supportive of what you do. I'm sure you still rage, but like you, not the way that um, <laughs> you maybe did when you were in a sales position. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. You know? It's like it, it, everything balances out at that point. Exactly. And I'm working in an environment where I can be myself all mm -hmm. the time, you know, and it's, it's celebrated. It's appreciated, you know, guests that come in for their first time in Nashville, oftentimes we're their first stop because we're right by the Virgin hotel and the best Western, all that shit. So they're like, wow, that's so cool. Like this guy's our bartender, but he's also in a band. And so is this guy. And it's like, that's so Nashville. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> both my town. Yeah. Um, last time you were here it, along with, uh, gerbil Chris Jackson oh, as yeah. well. Um, I'm rebranding him to gerbil Chris. I'm with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. The more people we get behind on this, uh, we're, we're eventually like going to get his name changed legally. Like Dude, he doesn't have a choice. I, I could see it happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you were here with Chris last time and something you had brought up was, uh, when you're working in sales, you wear a pink shirt which I've, I've thought about this a lot since we talked last Really? Time. Yeah, yeah, the closing color. Yeah, <laughs> you were talking about like uh, like peacocking, like showing like like a way of standing out. Oh, yeah. And like um, that that's important in like a sale. I work in sales. I, I also I feel you on that. Has it been working out? Um, my I, I work in storage, which okay. sells itself. So it's not as uptight as a lot of sales stuff. Nice. Like, yeah, like I work in property management. So it's like I... I'm slinging empty space and also just like keeping it, keeping the grounds. Yeah. Nice. Um, so it, it's actually super chill. I like my job a lot. Um, Except get, for that one Sunday where they called you three times on your day, only day off. Yeah. Because oh, um, <laughs> someone wanted in on a day they're closed. Yeah. I We, we may or may not have been uh, severely inhibited uh, last Sunday when I was off the clock <laughs> and I'm getting work things. Which, like, uh, I actually wasn't supposed to be dealing with that. Like, the the, the person that was calling me uh, wasn't supposed to be bothering me about this. It was, like, pretty mundane thing. So that that was irritating. But, uh, yeah, it's usually pretty, ch pretty chill. I'm not usually, like, taking calls off the clock like that. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, but, like, standing out. What do, what do you do, Cordy, as, as an artist, a way of, like, are there certain things either like 
like he brought up pink shirts, so like appearance things or like attitude things that make you like you you specifically think about to stand out as an artist I, or even in the workplace. I just kind of run around like a gremlin, you know, <laughs> goblin mode, 24, yeah, seven. Goblin mode, 24, seven. I for a show, if I'm feeling like kind of tired, I'll do like a little chicken dance or something like kind of like slapping yourself in the face to like calm down, but the opposite. So, uh, yeah, I, I try to do weird makeup and stuff because I, I think it's a big part of like if you feel like in character and like you feel good about your appearance, then you're you're going to do better and mm. you're going to be more confident. You you both have like a punk rock, uh, very like fuck you punk attitude on stage it's it's a vibe it's a vibe <laughs> for sure i i really hate that i missed you guys playing together because that would have been a great show especially at fucking east side bowl that was a really good show um yeah that i we were we were talking about that last time you were here and i think it's a great question like what 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 makes you what do, how do you peacock how do you stand out as an artist and that's something i've actually carried on talking to other people about too it's a good one it's a man. good question you know, especially when you live every day, the way you dress, the way you do your makeup or the way you present yourself and this and that, you know, for me, it's like, you got to live the life you want to see yourself living in every aspect. Like some people might say, fake it till you make it. I say, become that person. Yeah, like dress the for the time. job you want. Exactly, dude. Yes. Yeah. It's like the same way that actors are, they stay in character, you know, like that's why we got the crazy it's method acting. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You yeah. just become that. Yeah. Mm -hmm it's um it, yeah and it, like I, I know a lot of people like come to town like I'm I'm gonna move to Nashville to like you know get signed and like get my band up and it's like this is the hardest town to cut your teeth in not the easiest yeah like because it's it's very there's a lot of artists it's very saturated um and you have to do stuff like that you have to you have to be good at what you're doing and you have to stand out. You have to do both of these things. I feel like you also have to immerse yourself in the scene mm -hmm. and, and you, you have to ask yourself, like, what can I do for the scene? Not what can the scene do for me? Big time. Yeah. Like, you know, I do see artists come into town and they're like, oh, well, that was a huge deal back in this city. I used to sell 250 tickets. So, and I feel like I reached my cap. So I'm moving to Nashville. I'm like, go back. That's great. Mm. <laughs> like, you're not going to sell 250 tickets here. Yeah. Like, yeah. not right now, at least. It's going to take you years and you're going to have to approach it a totally different way. Yeah. You know, that's like a thing that I've often, you know, I sometimes feel guilty about, but you can't be everywhere all the time. Mm. Yep. You know, that's why I always try to get out to shows as much as I can, but sometimes it just ain't happening. Yeah. You know, that's why like when, like when, when people don't come to a show or whatever and they they tell me they feel bad i'm like dude like don't feel bad like you've got shit to do too like you know what i mean and it's like that's life you know mm -hmm. and you need to be have time for rest you know and it's you know as an artist like eliminating distractions can be sometimes difficult or you know being the person you have to be at home versus the person you are you know on stage or in the studio you know it's like you know, me and all my guys are in committed relationships in the band. You know, some of us have kids. You know, I'm lucky my my girlfriend, you know, she is the only partner I've been with that's actually like supported me like 110%, even in times where it's like really difficult and we have to put our relationship life on hold for things that I have to jump to and go do with or without her, you know, and it's it's never an issue like that, you know. So it's 
it's it's a weird weird balance of life sometimes where it's like okay and then you have to put the time aside for yourself mm-hmm. you know are you are you a messy person what's your house look like immaculate really always been yeah like i i kind of i get that vibe yeah <laughs> what your car too um as of late so i got rear-ended a few months ago car is finally fixed and then like two weeks after getting it back some chick fucking like hit my car like whipping into a parking spot so i've just been like you gotta be fucking kidding me like so like it's a little messy right now it's like filled with like cans of celsius like (laughs) so i gotta clean it up but yeah like traditionally my cars have always been pretty spotless i don't smoke in my car um you have to have um a clean space in order to have a clean mind that's and exactly yeah. I'm, i say this being an extremely messy person like my car and my room are a fucking mess that's like a pretty much a standard for me i keep my like office and my like, professional life immaculate but like not not my room <laughs> like i just but like it is it's something i'm trying to uh we're on the book club we're going to be reading about uh, like feng shui soon and Ooh. like um the art of cleaning uh like i can't remember is it marie Kondo? yes oh yeah she's great um yeah we're gonna do her book on the book club soon in the next couple months but um i'm trying to kind of restructure uh that because really you can't you can't really do much of anything until you've like set your immediate surroundings Mm -hmm. in place maybe i'll do that episode i own that book and i i'm trying to get my life together yeah (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm excited to read that one because I'm, I'm I'm there too. Um, recently, something we were talking about Sunday is like I, I I have this problem of like taking all of the world's problems on my, on my own, like and like really I as much as it irks me, like there there's nothing I can do about it. All I can do is like affect like what's physically around me, and that's really all you can do. Um, Very true. And I think like setting an example and like spreading that outwards is like that's how you're going to effectively make a change like control what you can and like help people around you do that too um yeah like, like we were saying earlier i think there is like a real community here um opposed to like opposed to like pre-covid like 2018 i got i got here in like 2016 and i would say that's when it was most like east side plays with east side and even then it's like these bands play together these bands play together then you have like the broadway crowd and then the murfreesboro punk scene and like these are separate entities these are separate little cliques um and it is really comparatively to then become a lot more um of a supportive community like cordy said you have to be doing things for the right reason like what can i do for the community not what can the community do for me um we still get like i don't know uh like assholes that aren't interested in like helping each other come up but that's like when that happens you're just not going to get very far like no one's going to want to play with you no one's going to uh come to your shows you know it smells bad (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. it like like it I don't know it's it's such a cool community but Nashville itself like taking not even looking at the music scene but like the amount of people coming in to like here and also I know Austin Texas is a big one like a lot of people are moving there um 
and like that has its perks and that it also like has its major drawbacks like everything gets more expensive um like cost of living here has gone up quite a bit in the last several years so out like i think that is also like that's a that's a bigger issue we're facing as like a nation and as a world um is shit's getting more expensive um we're kind of it the economy is on like a downhill and things are tight right now like one of the biggest memes is like my parents at 30 like buying a house and it's like me at 30 it's like uh i don't know like mcdonald's or something you know um but you know i i have a little bit of faith that this is like a wave goes like this it kind of feels like things are just going to stay up but i don't know that that's a realistic trend i think maybe in like 10 years we'll all be able to afford houses like yeah yeah. it would be nice to own something yeah other than guitars (laughs) (laughs) you know Uh, it's it's crazy too you mentioned that like you know like my experience growing up was very well, like, you know, I grew up in a really nice neighborhood. I went to a really nice school in Connecticut and this and that. Like, so I lived like a very cush upbringing, you know, I won't lie. Like I was very spoiled as a kid, but my parents' experience, it wasn't like that, dude. My, like what my parents went through to give me and my sisters what we had, like, I still to this day have no idea how the fuck they pulled it off and seeing how hard that they had to work is something that I really, you know, grew to understand as I got older, you know, my mom went from working corporate in New York city to going back into bartending and she was playing wedding gigs as a means to make money. My stepfather was climbing the ladders in his career and, and stuff like that. And now they've got it finally set up. They're living their best life. The kids are out of the nest or whatever. And we're doing, you know, our own thing, but I had to learn a lot when I moved out on my own really about what it's like to not really have everything that you want all the time and what it means to struggle and stuff like that. And it's, it's a really humbling, crazy fucking thing. Not realizing that when I was growing up as a teenager and everything was so easy, my parents were the ones struggling to pull all that off for us, you know? So I I can heavily relate to that. Like, um, when, as at a, when I was a young kid, both of my parents were business owners and, um we were pretty me and my sister are pretty spoiled like we we got to do a lot of cool stuff um and then like I want to say it was like around like 2001 2002 um when like things like really started to take like a downhill both of my parents' businesses um collapsed and they both each filed for bankruptcy so like we went from like upper middle class to kind of like lower middle class Mm -hmm. as I became like a teenager um and like um but yeah like even then like we still our lifestyle didn't change a whole lot right and I know I just I know what you mean about like as a kid you don't really understand money like what you don't understand how that works exactly especially if your parents aren't being like transparent about it you know oh yeah I mean like they would never let on that things were tight and that they were struggling but you know late at night when you're in your bed and you hear the the arguments Mm -hmm. You know, and you hear that, like, the normal people, adult shit that happens behind closed doors. Yeah. It's like, wow, like, fuck, that's crazy. It's, like, the or one of the, like, biggest things you can do with your life. Like, we're, we're all artists, and that's important, too. But, like, the the moms and dads working nine to fives, like, 
bringing up kids like that's um a really like honorable thing to do yeah big shout yeah for sure um yeah i okay so hard segue do you see the ufo thing in congress so no and i hope you can fill me in because i've been yeah. seeing the memes and i've so the back i've worked back-to-back doubles at my job as that whole thing was unraveling and I would just like be on Instagram and be like, what is, what's snapping off with the aliens? Like, what's all this about? <laughs> so, um, some military, uh, like witnesses to an event, um, back in 2004 brought their, what they were describing to Congress. Um, this is like pretty old news if you're familiar with like UFO stuff, but what's a big deal about it is that they like have, a congressional hearing about it like uh in a very like public way which a lot of it is still like red tape they're like a lot of what they were talking about is like i can't talk about that that's so crazy it it is wild um so basically uh this thing was spotted um it's like uh, it's a cube with a field around it that's like semi-visible like kind of transparent um and uh, like it passed them very quickly and it has very like sharp movements um, where I've heard it described as like um, like if you had a laser pointer on the wall is the way this like there's like uh, like what would you call that when, when you're making a turn like there's no momentum like drag it's just like complete stop go um, like turning on a dime to it a seemingly impossible degree because there's not like the same kind of propulsion obviously gotcha um so it's like seemingly like anti-gravity like it's not using some kind of um like combustion propulsion um it's not moving in ways that we understand that's nuts. yeah <laughs> and there have been lots of sightings like this um what's exciting about this is now it's like getting some um attention which it's not like the biggest win ever but at least they're talking about it um were you guys aware we probably talked about this already. there's aliens on the moon did you guys know this mm-hmm. so <laughs> there there are there, there's fucking aliens on the dark side of the moon and uh it, i will cite no sources <laughs> you can look this up yourself uh, but like People have, with their, uh, like, independent, privately owned telescopes, seen lights. Uh, really? like, so the moon rotates at the same speed that the Earth does, so we always see the same face of it, except, like, not perfectly all the time. So, like, we'll catch corners of what's on the other side of it what and people <laughs> yeah private private telescopes have caught images of like lights it looks like a top down of a city um i'll send you some pictures yeah that would actually be really cool yeah um so also uh what was it like two years ago elon launched a tesla into space okay. you remember this he launched his car oh yeah that's and that right. and had a feed coming back to earth and we can't see that feed because it's illegal to take images of Earth. And I think it's less about you being able to see the Earth 
and more about you being able to see what's on the other side of the moon. That's crazy. Um, yeah, real tinfoil hat time. Like I think <laughs> I think that they uh, we went we went to the moon back in the day. What fucking 50s, 60s, uh, and um, the footage we've been shown is bullshit. But we did actually go. We talked about this once too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree with that. Yeah, like a lot. I, I think the moon landing footage is bullshit. That's propaganda to make Russia spend all their money getting up there. Like you just want a nice presentation. Um, but we did actually go, and uh, Buzz Aldrin. Uh, I don't know how you familiar you guys are with him, but like he's done a lot of interviews. Not a lot. A handful of interviews over the years, and he is on record saying that they found a base on the backside of the moon when they went up there that's bananas yeah that's crazy yeah and it's it's beyond our technology there's also images on the front side of the moon of tracks like like something was pushed like some boulders or something um before humans had gone up there um yeah they're, they're watching that shout out to the band they watch us from the moon. I just saw last night at Cobra. This is something that's been on my mind. And I like, it's weird synchronicity shit. Like I just saw a band called they watch us from the moon. Um, I think they're from Kansas city, but they were fucking awesome. Um, and it's true. They, they, they're on the moon and they're, I don't know what exactly they're doing. I think maybe they're like trying to get resources. One theory I have is that um, they're interested in gold. So it's like, okay, you're trying to get gold off of earth instead of doing that yourself why don't you create a system where people try to accumulate gold themselves so it's like you have this competitive society where everyone's trying to get as much gold as they can and it's like okay so now everyone has stockpiled these things so now we don't have to go get it from places we can just get it from one place wow um yeah so none of our money is based on gold anymore and i don't i think it's because we don't have it I think it's because it's off planet or it's, it's, it's being stored for some purpose. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot to unload on you guys. I mean, dude, it's, it's, it, you know, it's like the, you know, the things that they keep secret, you will never mm -hmm. really know. And it's, you know, I, I recently watched that documentary about the uh, challenger explosion mm. back in the eighties. Wow, man. If you haven't seen it, I haven't seen that. Yeah. JJ Abrams directed it. The guy who did like lost and yeah. field. You said it's a documentary? It's like a docu-series. I think there's like oh, four cool. or five episodes. Yeah. And it was really informative and also heartbreaking. I mean, like the, those people were such special, individual, smart, talented people with loving families. And, you know, they totally rushed it. And unfortunately, you know, it exploded, you know, during takeoff and all that. And, uh, but like just the whole idea of the space shuttle program and how that came together was really interesting and uh like what a bananas thing i mean in the grand scheme of things that wasn't all that long ago that people could take a space shuttle into space and come back you know successfully yeah most times um and the idea the cool thing about nasa was like the people that they wanted to start putting on you know into space so like the one like it was like about the challenger itself the big thing was that they were going to put a teacher in outer space and um i'm blanking on the lady's name but like she became like this american icon you know the first teacher normal person into outer space and and it just was like so crazy and that whole thing kind of unraveled it just recently um 
<clears throat> government scientists are saying, well, it's actually impossible. We, we can't go to the moon. And it's like, can't or won't? Like, because I'm pretty sure we did. Uh, did you guys forget we did that already? Um, but now, yeah, now they're saying that we, we can't actually go to the moon. Huh. Um, so I don't know if that means that we never did or they're like, like, no, you guys, you don't understand. We can't go to the moon. Like, we're not allowed. Um, but they're saying, like, it's impossible to make uh, a lunar expedition. Yeah, I mean, I wonder what would be, like, significant about traveling there at this point, if we already know, like, that there's not really much going on there. I think we got up there and we walked to the dark side of the moon and everyone and all the aliens were like, surprise. Hey. <laughs> You found us. Uh, here's what you win. Now you have to do exactly what the fuck we tell you, or yeah. we're going to eradicate everybody. Um, so, like, you're you're gonna go back down there, and now your governments are gonna be extremely authoritarian. Um, probably Russia, probably China have been up there too, and have cut deals where it's like, okay, now that you're aware of us and you have like the technology to like do certain things you weren't able to before you're you're going to have to report directly to us and you're going to run your society exactly the way we tell you and there's nothing you can do about it because our technology is way beyond anything you could possibly deal with <laughs> so i'm i'm very anti-government but i think what we're going to find out um if we push hard enough is that it's like yeah like this is out of our hands we're just following orders like we have a boss the aliens are bosses. Who's the boss? I mean, have you seen Scandal? Uh-uh. I, I mean, that. it's it's kind of like over the top and there's a lot of drama, but the idea is that like, you know, there's like these secret ops groups and like things behind the president and that that kind of they want the country to be operated this way. Oh, so it's yeah. it's not a matter of who gets elected to them really it's like you're gonna work for us or we're gonna kill everybody you love and you yeah i mean the cia killed kennedy during a parade in the broad daylight and they were like it's they um they're not trying to cover this up they're trying to make an example it's like letting everyone know we run the show um and you know not taking credit for it because obviously you can't take credit for that they but they want to not take credit for it and everyone still know it was them where it's like they're not trying to be subtle they're like no we run the show now because kennedy was trying to uh defund the cia and um he had already taken a lot of steps to cut back their ability uh and i, I don't know why this is like such a controversial thing like <laughs> they did they fucking killed him and like they they had the most motivation to do so um and there's a lot of clear evidence of them trying to cover it up now i have heard the argument that they're not trying to cover up that they did it they're trying to cover up their incompetence like how mm. bad they fucked up letting this happen like the secret service was not on their shit so they want to cover up how big of like like our president got assassinated we can't you know be held accountable for this but i i, I don't really buy into that theory so much i think it was uh an inside job um because he was a pretty radical figure at the time kennedy's last public speech he was talking about how 
there are agencies within our government, like shadow organizations that have infiltrated um, like federal agencies, not the whole thing, but like agents within these agencies that have kind of uh, hijacked it for their own purposes or like um, for other nations purposes. I think you always hear about things like, you know, the whole, you know, the housing market collapse in 08 and all that, and like all everything that went down leading up to that. And a lot of it had to do with the FBI kind of looking the other way because they had their hands filled with counterterrorism, you know, stuff, you know, during like, you know, post 9-11 and stuff like that. And like these people were like, hey, they're not paying attention to us. Let's fucking pump and dump this shit out of the housing market. We're going to get away with it. And then boom, America went broke. Yeah. You know? So it's kind of crazy. Like, how when an eye, you know, shifts its its lens to a you know a different area of something, that's when like something else can go completely wild in another direction. Yeah, I think this is probably the hardest time in human history for them to keep a secret too, because of the internet. It's like it, it was way easier to have like cults or have government conspiracy in the eighteen hundreds or even like the fifties. Like now, it's impossible to keep a secret. Like. Mm-hmm privacy is constantly like huge tech companies put a lot of money into anti uh espionage like anti uh like hacking stuff mm-hmm. um security is what i mean to say they put a lot of money into security because it's kind of a constant battle between like building better firewall and like you're aware that people are going to try and like infiltrate your firewall um it's it, it's a battle of information information is extremely uh, valuable like like people that sell information make a, a fuck ton of money and um I, I think we're just we're getting to a point where they can't keep a lid on anything anymore uh, no matter how hard they try it's a, a dangerous scary pivotal time in history um i hope that everything works out in the end but uh I, I don't know. I'm I'm not exactly uh, hopeful. Like I'm hopeful, but I'm not exactly. I'm, I guess I'm a pessimist when I'm looking at the future. Well, I think it's human nature that like people can't keep secrets. People mm-hmm. love to tell secrets. People love when they have information that most people don't. They'll find a way to to tell it to get it off their chest. Maybe maybe it's like a feeling of guilt or a feeling of anxiety that they got to just like tell somebody about something you know in secrecy and that's how shit gets spread around you know yeah there's like a human element to that where it's like we like uh this guy in the 50s was covering up ufo stuff but like i don't want to do that like i i know about this now so i'm not those guys are dead now so like i'm gonna be the whistleblower and tell these secrets oh yeah yeah or just like decades of carrying guilt like you said like Mm -hmm. and then you finally like you know what people deserve to know um what what do you think lies in the future and how do we how do we fix the problems that we have because i'll be honest with you will i don't see a lot of like good paths forward i see a few radical options to um kind of put things on the right track but i don't see a lot of uh peaceful options it's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming to you for answers. You know, it's it's weird because I feel like like a tone has been set 
where there's like almost like no rules anymore like mm-hmm. nobody gives a shit there's like like society as a whole is i feel like has become a very like like me 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 like you know i, I don't know like there's not a lot of like i don't know it's it's weird like i feel like nobody like like when massive information comes out now it's like yo that's crazy and then it becomes like an internet meme and then like life presses on and it's like yeah like like things don't hold weight the way that they might have used to you know yeah. like you like congress is talking about ufos and, every, and life I don't even continues know it. exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> we live in the information age you know everything's been done there's no shock value left to true yeah. we grew up with two girls one cup at 9 11 yeah i'm sorry to put those in the same yeah. sentence but like we've seen it all those are tragedies of really... equal consequence <laughs> no um we're just really desensitized you know oh yeah it's the thing yeah it it the um the give a fuck uh meter is like kind of at an all-time low and also we kind of live in a time where it's like it's encouraged to not give a fuck like that's for yeah. your mental health it's like there's books about it and all kinds of things. I mean, you know, I'm not like a radical person. I don't see things that way. I don't think that's the proper path, but I do think that we continually, because of information, we we get a little bit closer to, to everybody seeing things the same way. I was a big Bernie supporter. And I think that that was the closest we've ever gotten to something like that. And I don't think that we should take it lightly how far we've come because that wouldn't have happened like 10 years ago. Yeah. And I feel like we're just going to continue to to come together as people. And mm-hmm. eventually we're all going to be enough of us are going to be on the same page. I wish the um, it's kind of the opposite of what you're saying. But I wish like the George Floyd movement had like continued. Like I think it's kind of like fizzled out. We don't see people like taking matters into their own hands like we did in uh, 2020, 2021. Um that was a, I think, a time when people were like, actually, we're really fed up with how things are going. And we're going to make you understand that we will be represented by any, uh, to quote the great Malcolm X, by any means necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a there's a Bill Burr quote I really like. Um, he's he, my favorite. Yeah. I fucking love Bill Burr. He's the best. <laughs> um, he actually made a thing recently and he's like, you know why there's a pile of trash in the ocean the size of fucking Texas? It's because psychopaths run the world. Yeah. And he's like, and, you know, you have nice people and some of those nice people get loud like Dr. King, but then they get killed mm. uh, also by the CIA, but uh, they, they get killed and psychopaths continue to run shit because nice people uh, are too nice to do anything about it um we all want to be good and it's like i kind of i have this whole rant about like i'm not a uh, like bat i used to love batman but something that joker talked about with batman in several iterations is he's like if you really gave a fuck about gotham you would kill me yeah but you don't give a fuck about gotham you just want someone to beat up because you're uh, a sad orphan that needs to to take his aggression out on people and um he's right he's right like batman doesn't care about gotham he cares about getting his rocks off beating the shit out of people and it's like you compare that with like like daredevil 
uh, or Punisher. Like Daredevil, mm -hmm. he he's a lawyer during the day and he's trying to do things through the correct channels, but he's fully aware that it's super corrupt. So like when he has to, he will take justice into his own hands um, and he will get justice like by any means necessary. Like he's usually against killing, but he's a very like fallible, fallible human character that like will do what needs to be done. And then you like on the far end, you have like Punisher who's like, no, I'm just going to kill everybody. And like, if they're a fucking problem, I'm just going to remove the threat. Punisher, man. Yeah. Frank, Frank Castle. Frank Castle. Bad motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm like, I wish I wasn't here, but like uh, at this place, but like, I really don't see, like, we haven't had a Boston Tea Party in a long time. We haven't told, we haven't policed our government in a long time. And it's like, we're, we're really overdue for a Boston Tea Party. Um, Courtney's like, no, no, stop associating well, me with well, this. Well, here's here's where I see like issue with that. So like, like, and we saw this a lot with COVID and stuff like that. I feel like it like it shifted to where like if Americans feel that they can protect themselves by any sort of means, whether it's you know owning a firearm or the, if they can protect their own and their family, like it's not a team movement like the Tea Party mm -hmm. was, right? So like the way that I kind of see things, especially as an American, you know, like like protecting the core values of, you know, what it means to be free and stuff like that isn't specific to just me. It should be that everyone should feel freedom. Everyone should feel yeah. freedom equally and have the same opportunities and the equal rights. And the, the things that, you know, were the original concept and idea of building this, you know, America as as it was originally intended has been lost i think and it's a lot of that is driven by this you know everyone has a voice now on social media and stuff like that so it's very easy for individuals to, to take it to a selfish level i think mm. and and be like well this is the way i feel free and i'm okay to speak this way because i can protect my own and it's me and it's my life it's very selfish it's not mm. like hey you know me cordy and alex uh we might not all see things the same but we all feel comfortable and free and this and that it, it's like it's very divided unfortunately yeah. and that's like a big problem you know and it's, it's I, I think that is not organic at all like i think yeah. that's the media and like twitter put it like purposefully by design putting people against each other of course like we all could be on the same page but that terrifies the powers that be so they divide us over gender they divide us over um race they divide us over religion um anything that isn't us versus them mm -hmm. which is like and like you, you were talking about um like protecting our core values um which i totally agree with you and you know like uh freedom of speech i think is the most important and i'm you're you're not really for freedom of speech if you're only for freedom of your speech right yeah it's like you have you have to be willing to defend ideas you don't agree with to an extent right like you should not defend them but defend someone's right to say them with limits uh but like you're, you're not really pro freedom of speech if you're not willing to stand up for what someone else has to say even if it's contradictory to what you believe well right? i feel like freedom of speech is not freedom from consequence like you can mm -hmm. you can mm -hmm. post it online you know but that doesn't mean that people are going to respond yeah. well or that they have to listen to you so, or that they're going to like you and you can't just go up into a private 
establishment, like say like a Nazi can't just go up in a punk show where there's like queer artists and other people playing and then start spewing their hateful rhetoric and not expect to get kicked the fuck out. Yeah. And, and that's, that's definitely not, not that's definitely not what I'm saying. Like um, I'm talking about like legally because um, there's plenty of things that are wrong to do that aren't illegal and that's okay because we police them socially. We don't need the government to police this. For example, um, this is kind of a controversial one, but like I think a business owner should have the ability to deny someone business for any reason, even if that reason is bigoted. And here's why. The market will correct itself. Um, if we all found out that there's someone super bigoted that runs a donut shop, we're not going to shop there. Not only that, we're going to boycott it. We're all going to get together and be like, hey, no one go there. And they will go out of business on their own. The I, government doesn't have to get involved in that. I don't agree with that. Like if somebody is just coming up to your business and you don't like them because they're queer or they're a person of color and they haven't done anything but like order from you now, you need to fucking serve them or like maybe not be in the service industry. Are you saying like a man with a gun should come make you? No, I'm them? saying that's that's just like literally the law. It doesn't have to be an extreme like. So if they break that law, it's like business. a fine. Yeah, it should be like a fine and eventually okay. you lose your business. Because hear me out. What you I think no one's going to go there. Police itself, that's a lot of faith. But what if somebody lives in like a rural town and like essentially everybody in that town is highly conservative and you're the only outcast there? I guess that's true. What are you going to do? Like, can you shop anywhere? You got to go to Walmart if they have a Walmart. But a lot of a lot of smaller towns don't have like. Yeah, like, like you can't you can't discriminate. And you can't you, just be you like you need to go point. somewhere else where people, you know. I guess I'm looking at like this you. from like a like a like a Nashville like city point of view where it's like this is going to fizzle out on its own because they're just not going to be able to drum up enough business. But if it's a small town where that is the majority view, I guess that does become a bigger problem. At and that it, point. it goes both ways. You know, a crowd boy walks into a bar doesn't fight anybody, doesn't say shit, but like he's got his like, little patches on, like just drink your beer and go do it. Like, don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, um, like the example of someone being a dick, like and not, not a business owner, but someone just coming in and uh, for any reason. Being disorderly, being, being a yeah. Karen. Like if you, if you make a scene, then you need to leave, but you can't yeah. police someone's identity, you know, and deny them service. Well, okay. Like example, if there's, someone in the music scene here that is like is is bigoted and um is saying a bunch of awful things or doing a bunch of awful things um no one's going to play shows with them they're not going to get invited to do things that kind of polices itself you know what i mean where it's like we don't have to get the government involved we can handle that ourselves i'm just i'm i'm so anti-government that i'm like they they fuck up everything they do like everything they've ever tried has been a disaster and it's like if we can just not get them involved like i'm very much like i, I don't call the police i'll just handle this shit myself because it's not going to help it's going to complicate matters whereas like if i it, it could be so much simpler if we all just look out for each other as a community and police each other like police the um <laughs> the vibe the vibe police the vibe police are coming vibe check bitch yo your fucking nikes are scuffed up you don't pass the vibe check get the fuck out of here no but dude you know you know what i hate to see and i've been seeing it a lot over the past few years in nashville 
is like tourists that come in and like, dude, like I, I love tourists. I think it's great. We live in a place where everyone wants to come. That's a very exciting thing, right? Mm-hmm. They stoke the economy. They're curious about what's going on here. You know, you get a lot of folks from Europe, you get a lot of people from coast and, you know, coast to coast, or it's, it's a lot of folks though, unfortunately that come from small-minded places that come to Nashville to kind of like tote that, right? So mm-hmm. like on Broadway, especially you get a lot of like, not to like, you know, I'm not saying a lot of these, all these people are like this, but like a lot of like boomer, like Midwest people that are very small minded that come to Nashville with this expectation, expectation that like, that's what we do here. And that's how we are. And they're allowed to just have a fucking bigoted parade. And it's like, it's so not like that down mm. here, you know, and, and a majority of us do not feel that way and don't appreciate that. And it's just like, it kind of makes you sick to your stomach. Like, dude, yeah. first of all, this is like music city. Like you're coming up in here with your fucking like protect AR 15 gun owners rights, t-shirts and whatnot. And this, that, the other thing. And it's like, dude, you're like making a statement in a place where it's like, you think it's okay to, but it's like, it's really like not, bro. Like, yeah. It's, it's like, dude, this isn't what this Nashville's is. Nashville's extremely progressive. It's like, you're on vacation. Take a fucking break, dude. <laughs> Calm yeah. the fuck down. Drink your fucking Coors Light. You're not a soldier. Like, you're not a, what are you doing? You're not, not talking yeah. Coors Light like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You like Coors, man. I'm a Miller guy. Midwest of you. But it's, uh, yeah, you know, and it, it's just weird, man, you know, coming up, you know, being from like New York and shit, like, you know, most people are progressive where I'm from, mm-hmm. you know, but here's the thing, like, dude, I, I feel you know, the way I stand on politics, and I wish more Americans felt this way. And unfortunately, I think because we're so divided now, people pick a side and stick to it no matter what. If there was a cool headed Republican that was a professional politician running for office, like. I would for sure consider those options, you know, it's the same way I consider voting Democrat or whatever, you know, and it's like, I feel like people are so afraid of whatever consequences they feel are going to happen if like they agree with a party that doesn't align with the people around them mm-hmm. in their particular scene, no matter what it is. That's not and my favorite sports team. That's the other sports team. Dude, hell yeah, man. Fucking, I mean, d- dude, my, my favorite athlete left my favorite football team. I'm not going to root for the goddamn Jets. And I'm from New York. You know, that's okay because it's sports, <laughs> but, you know, when it's uh, left and blue, I mean, yeah. le- left and red, or left and right, blue and red, it's like, that's, uh, it, we're not talking about sports anymore. Like, right. like it's, yeah, it's like, you, you kind of need to, like, put a little more thought in, like, than, than just my team or I my think, team. I think the perfect right. candidate does exist, and maybe they're not a political professional, but you know how if somebody makes a joke enough times, it's like, oh, you're not joking. You mean that if you keep making the same joke. Right. And we've all joked about this, but we're not kidding. Like, everybody wants Dolly for president. <laughs> I would vote for Both Dolly. Both sides want Dolly for president. I, that You know what? Dolly Parton could be great president. She could be president. She I, could be our first female president. I'm about it. I'm team dolly i just wouldn't want to see that sweet lady yeah. have to go through all that trouble you make a good point you know the poor thing she's yeah. she should be protected <laughs> I, I mean i'm interested in kennedy in this upcoming election i just because again i hate the fucking government um you, you tell a joke enough times and it becomes the truth i'm just kidding i hate the government <laughs> i don't hate the government but i do <laughs> uh like so anytime that the media is like we don't like this guy I'm like, oh, well, I'm interested in this character now. What, why do you hate him so much? Established media. Um, why, why does the government hate this person? Uh, it's like, well, maybe they 
are interested in America. And I think Kennedy uh, has a lot of family ties, right? It's like he he has a chance of winning, I think, because people know the name. Um, and he kind of represents this, this counterculture of um, like anti-establishment, which is like a rising sentiment on both sides right now. Um, I don't think I'm alone in being fed up with shit. Um, and, you know, can, like Kennedy's getting old and I don't agree with everything he has to say either, but um, just not being part of the status quo, which, you know, maybe that's a, maybe that's a super psyop and he's like, actually take, he's actually CIA or something. And it's like, I'm going to fill this spot, like a controlled opposition, like, um, sorry to bother you. You guys seen that? No. Oh man. It's so good. I, I won't rant about sorry to bother you, but, uh, yeah, it anyway. Um, yeah, I think he has a chance of winning. He's running Democrat. Um, which I mean, I'd definitely take him over like Biden or whoever the fuck else they, I don't even know who the DNC could possibly put, put up. Like, I think they're going to run Biden again, which I mean, like is interesting choice, <laughs> weird flex, but okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, I have to wonder, you know, what would it take to make everybody happy? Hmm. Oh, I don't, I don't think that's think possible. It's just like impossible. everybody has a different yeah. idea of yeah, happiness. There's no utopia. It would make me happy, which isn't everybody. But um, if we got represented, like our tax money actually went to things that benefited people, what benefited the earth, yeah. right? Like green. Uh, but uh, greed is like, like, like on paper communism's cool until you like try it because greed and like human error is a factor which makes it an impossible pipe dream where it's like you you cannot pull this off because people are fallible like people will not distribute things equally it every time it's been tried it's like some the people at the top just end up taking a slice off the top and it's like so in theory this works and in a small community, it works. Like you can have a commune and it's like, that is a self-sustaining thing where it's like, Will has a bunch of tomatoes. I have a bunch of potatoes. It's like, we can make a trade here. And it's like, we, you know, we just support each other or like Cordy doesn't have any tomatoes. It's like, you can just have some, I have the surplus. Like, nice you're thing. welcome. You're very I welcome. I don't know why I have no farming skills here, but after it. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it comes down to respect for one yeah. another too. And that's another thing that I feel has been lost, you know, just kind of having, you know, respect for the way people choose to do what they do. Mm. And it's like, you know, of course, everything to some degree. Right. But like, you know, I don't know, man, would, would you say you guys are very competitive people? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, I'm also a very yes, collaborative person. Okay. Yeah. Like, I'm competitive. I'm also cooperative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think those are the best, you know, when you're going towards a goal with somebody to be cooperative is like the one thing that it really takes, you know, mm -hmm. understanding cooperation, respect, trust, um, you know, letting go of control, things of that nature that, yeah. you know, so something me and Gordy were talking about the other day, um, 
<clears throat> I'm a very like, I don't, I don't really do like passive aggressive. Like I'm very combative. Like if I see a problem, I address it. Like if, if I'm like picking up that, like someone's like not vibing with me, I'll like address that. It's like, Hey, are we good? Is it like, I just, I'm confrontational in the sense that if I see a problem, I want to fix it. Yeah. Um, which I don't know, maybe I'm too confrontational sometimes, but well, it's, I think that it's okay to be comfortable. I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. I, I spoke with my therapist recently about something and he, he was explaining to me that there's really two types of people uh, in conflicts or really in life. And it's like pursuer avoidant. So like if somebody is an avoidant person, they might be passive aggressive or not really say what's bothering them, which is just as bad as someone who's a pursuer going after somebody who's avoiding an issue combatively. Right. So like, it's it's hard a lot of people don't like confrontation i i for one i fucking cannot stand i don't like a couple of things i don't like having my balls busted hmm. i don't like fucking passive aggressiveness and i certainly do not like sarcasm i think that they all <laughs> kind of fall in the same thing and like when i notice that someone's being like that with me like i'll flat out be like Let me ask you a question you got a fucking problem with me you yeah talk about this you know, because we can talk about this or you can keep pissing me off and i'm gonna fucking go crazy on your ass <laughs> like you know so that's i you know I think that's how people should handle things, but you know, I guess, you know, not everyone sees it like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, communication is key. Like if we can talk about what's holding us up, it's like, Oh, actually it wasn't as big of a deal as we thought. And it's like, we're actually, we could all get along if we could address those things, but people get scared of, of that, of, of talking about, the things that are bothering them especially when they find somebody else who's also bothered by the same thing and now it's like they're talking about and they're getting all revved up and it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah i don't know it's, it's weird <laughs> like we're talking about some pretty controversial things right now and it's like uh like obviously you not you guys probably agree with me on some things but a lot of things like not on the same page about but i mean we're having a civil conversation about it like it's not a problem uh we're just trying to I think here's okay so you're talking about competition like versus co cooperating um whenever i'm like presenting an idea i have like about how to fix things for example um i'm not trying to change anyone's mind not trying to change alice's mind or y'all's minds i'm just presenting what i'm thinking so that we can so that you guys can present what you're thinking and together we can arrive at the truth right instead of like uh looking at it like a debate like i'm going to try and convince this person that i'm right because oftentimes i'm not right like oftentimes i need to be corrected and i'm not going to know how i need to be corrected unless we talk about it mm -hmm. i feel like being competitive it can be a good thing and a bad thing it's like nuanced you can look at it one way like someone could say well i'm going to be better than them or somebody that's just like I'm just going to be the best I'm not really like looking at all of y'all and what you're doing right. because it's not in competition with me you know we're not doing the same thing we're different people same as you know an argument is deciding who is right and a discussion is deciding what is right mm. that's absolutely yeah that's how you come at it I like that and what it, your goal is yeah it's it's not an argument it's a discussion yeah because I'd be willing to say that nine times out of ten there is no wrong or right you know what is mm -hmm. really the truth we talked yeah. about that last week 
there's, there, um, there's very few objective truths and mm-hmm, right yeah. and wrongs. I think like the objective truths are like physics where it's like, that is, that is true. Like one plus one is two. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Science, math, mm-hmm. dude. One of my favorite things to see as an outsider, I hate being in a situation like this and we all have, but like, I love observing two people or a group of people where like one person is really wrong about something but they're <laughs> fighting for their goddamn life to prove this point like like bro no you're fucking not listening you're wrong no that that did happen like that <laughs> to see that go down is one of the funniest fucking things to me and i see it all the time working in a bar or whatever you see people like dude it's just hilarious seeing somebody get so worked up like i love to see it like it cracks me up like i don't know why it's like watching like a real life sitcom or like TV mm-hmm. conflict. And it's like, dude, <laughs> I think the problem is um, like, I grew up super religiously. We've talked about it. Before, yeah. But um, like it, the problem, one of the biggest problems in our society, like what you're describing is dogmatism where it's like, this is my team. I'm team gun. I'm team not gun. And it's like, I'm all in on this. And if you say anything against that, fuck you. Like you're, you're when you say, that thing about this thing that I disagree with, you're attacking me personally. It's like, it's, it's a religion. Like you're attacking my God. Like I identify as a follower of this God. So if you say anything negative about that, you're attacking, it's a personal attack. And it's like, it becomes an emotional thing at that point. Or like, like sports teams, which sports teams, like I, I, it's not a big deal because we're just talking about sports. It's not, we're not, you know, we're not talking about religion. We're not talking about politics. You can, be like unreasonable about the Tennessee volunteers like no they're gonna fucking win and that's my fun <laughs> don't talk shit about it that's my team like that's that's fun that's all in good sport and uh but you know like we can't be that tribal about like world issues <laughs> like I feel like also it's tricky because nobody wants to be convinced or influenced or had their mind changed especially by a stranger or somebody that they're not that mm. close to I mean I feel like we all have our own ideals and we put a lot of thought into coming to those. They're shaped through things we've learned in our experiences. So they're kind of near and dear to our heart. So for somebody to not even try to get to know you or understand your perspective, but to want you to take theirs, like I totally understand Like you can't change somebody's mind before you establish trust with them and let them see that you have a human connection. Mm -hmm. You know, like I used to go to a really redneck karaoke bar and for a minute there, I'm sure they thought that I was that that weird like you know harlot with like a pentagram the devil works from a skirt because they don't they don't know but when you spend time with somebody and you just like show them hey this is who I am as a person eventually you can get away with kneeling during the Mm. national anthem and not getting kicked out of that place because they're like we like that girl she's pretty chill she's wrong but and that's that's how it starts you have to meet people where they're at as a person and leave that shit out like give a damn about them and then they'll care what you think it comes back to like the cooperative versus like competition it's like you people are actually really good at this if they want to like I work in sales and it's like I don't talk to everyone exactly the same way it's like I know I know how this guy's gonna want to be approached he's gonna want to be called sir so I'm gonna be like like very like formal like this is a businessman like he's here on behalf of his company like or like this guy is older but he's like laid back and he he's not going to want to he just wants to like have like a first name basis kind of communication and it's like you can figure these things out about someone immediately like um 
and like you can formulate if, if it's sales you can formulate a pitch if it's like not sales like you can find a common ground with someone really fast if you're looking to do that but if you're looking to like i don't like the way that person's presenting themselves and i want to change that it's like that's combative that's mm. that's not you're not cooperating on being friends yeah they're you're, just gonna dig their heels in yeah. more oh yeah yep doesn't it feel so good to like let your guard down and learn something new from somebody that you maybe initially disagreed with yeah man one yeah. of my one of my favorite things to do on this show is talk to people that I disagree with. Oh yeah, um, I love I love being wrong because I'm very much a pessimist. Like the things I think are true make me depressed. Where it's like, I wish I didn't see it this way. Like if you guys see another way, let me know because like <laughs> it's not. I'm not happy about the way I'm perceiving things. Uh, well, hope is a big thing too. Yeah. And I think that's something that's been lost on us as a society. Um, you know, to be hopeful, to be optimistic, but also, you know, within the confines of being a realist at the same time. And to have hope is what keeps people going, to have faith that something is going to work, to believe in something that it's going to work, you know, much like with our art, you know, it's, it's like, you got to believe if you're trying to receive, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. that's a big thing. And it's, you know, sometimes, and then you experience the beauty of what happens when you believe in something and it becomes a truth or a reality. And it's like, wow, like that is one of the most mind blowing experiences. And I feel like you can only experience that if you have a hopeful outlook, you know, but you can't be like, you know, the happy go lucky, like everything's going to be great. I'm going to manifest the success. Is that like, there's a limit to everything. I really think, you know, cause there are some days where I'm like, dude, fuck this shit. I'm selling my guitars. I'm closing up shop. Fuck this band. Fuck this music shit. I'm done. And it's like, those moments don't always happen. They're very far and few between, but like they do happen because that's mm -hmm. normal too. And you can't feed into that negative energy like that either. And yeah. um, you know, it's, you got to maintain hope. Yeah. You know, that the, I call it the suffering will eventually end. And we, we really like, we live in the world we perceive. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if you um, dwell on all this stuff, then it's a reality, but it's like, um, there is a lot of really great things about life too. Oh like, yeah. I have some great friends that I can discuss, you know, Damn kind right. of, kind of like, um, things that are hard for me you know like this 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 has been healthy talking to you yeah. it's therapeutic it's great dude um and like there's a lot of great music oh yeah um things are things are uh going well for my friends like making moves uh and we're all building each other up man and there's a lot to be happy about um and i think uh you know may maybe maybe there are aliens on the moon controlling people and stealing our gold maybe the government is uh rigged against us but also there's a lot of great art coming out. Um, technology is, is at an all-time high, which kind of, um, in theory, makes a better quality of life. Um, so yeah, let, let's let's end on a happy note. Uh, you know, look look on the bright side of of things, even though um, it's it's not all good. We just got to take the good with the bad. Or look on the dark side of things, like the moon. Look on the dark <laughs> side of the moon. Yes. Look on the dark side of the moon. Alice, go up there and take pictures and send it back to us. Just look I, at all sides. As they, as Pink Floyd said, and if the band you're in starts playing different tunes, I'll see you on the dark side of the moon. Mm. <laughs>
Uh, Will, Corey, thank you all for being here today. This has been a lot of fun. Absolute pleasure being on the podcast, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Of course. Uh, catch Sleeper Signal August 25th at the 8th Room with Hungry and Dangerous. Uh, more music coming out later this year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we might even crack off a few new songs at that gig if we're ready yeah. for it. Yeah. Which would be exciting for me because we've been, you know, that's that's the goal. You know, new content, new stuff, new feedback from people, you know, so yeah. that should be fun. And then um, this is like the fourth time I've asked you, but you have some show dates coming up. Yeah, well. I'll see you tomorrow, August 4th at the East Room. Yeah. It's really pop punk. It'll be fun. Um, yes. Check out Hussy Fit. Check out Sleeper Signal. Um, the, these are some of my, my best friends. Uh, I love having you guys on. And we'll see you next week.